Well, greetings and welcome back to the season one, episode 28 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and life and mission. My name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the great opportunity to sit down with our friend Dick Foth on Back Channel with Foth. And this is a segment where listeners send in questions, and um, they send them to me. That My email is found on the show notes, and then we curate those questions, and um, we try to answer as many of them many of them as we can. And so you can continue to send questions in and that's based off of the, the nine growth capacities in the Africa house. And so um, you can find those in the show notes, but Dick, we have so excited to have you back with us today. Thank you. It's great to both hear you and see you sitting there in your space in Madagascar. In Madagascar, lots of boxes. Dick is being kind. We're in the process of transition. So my house is uh, in a lot of boxes. So anyway, he's getting to see a, a transparent look into my life. So Dick, the first question they sent in for us today was, missionaries go through the same life transitions as people in America. Kids go to college, aging parents get sick, young adult children have a crisis, etc. Because of the distance, we tend to feel these events more profoundly. What advice can you give to help us missionary workers who may be facing challenges like this in stateside when we're here um, overseas? Well, I, I've had the privilege a <clears throat> hundred years ago of, of being a third culture kid, being brought up for a few years in South India. And I might need to know a few more particulars in order to be particular in my response, but let me give a general response. We leave home, we go to a different culture that has different values, different customs, different languages, practices, and then we come home to a home country and we find out it's changed. That's different. It's a different country than the one we left. Now, that's always been true, but it's more true today because of the speed of mm. culture, and the speed of communication. So my thought is this. If there's a way to find one or two persons you can talk with mm. who have been there before, uh, who can walk you through it, people who have been in situations like you were been, but perhaps they have 15 years on you. Yeah. And perhaps... You don't even know them very well, but you've heard their reputation. And yeah. you call them up or you Zoom with them yeah. and say, somebody gave me your name. Would you chat with me? Yeah. Would you just, you know, I need you to listen. I recently did a podcast with a friend, 37 years old. I've known him for 14 years. He's the U.S. Airborne Ranger. Hmm. He's special ops. He's been deployed 20 times in the Middle East over the last, um, or in, South Central Asia over the last number of years. And um, he's, he is one of the most decorated young uh, soldiers in the U.S. military since 9-11. Hmm. Several Purple Hearts for Wounds, several Bronze Stars, two Silver Stars. I mean, amazing decoration. And I asked him the questions, how do you handle that? Hmm. What you've seen, what you've had to do, how do you process that? And he said, first of all, I process it with my friends who have been there. Hmm. And we, we've been there. We know the feelings. We know the stuff. But the second thing, I said, you do something else, right? He said, yeah. I, he said, some people go and sit with a counselor because of the trauma that we've been right. through and all of that. But he said, I learned to scuba dive when I was a teenager. 
And recently, in the last few years, he got married and he said, I told my wife to be, I said, you need to get scuba certified. I said, why is that? He said, because after a deployment, I come back and I spend a week in some tropical area, it could be Florida, it could be the Caribbean, wherever, and I scuba for a week. Hmm. And I said, my thought is that you go down to this different universe and you leave it on the bottom. Hmm. Right? Hmm. He paused a moment and he said, that's a good way to put it. Hmm. Different people have handled pressure, circumstances, trauma in different ways. And to figure out how you do that best would be a great help in transition times. Hmm. That's good. That's wisdom. And uh, as you know, the life we live, there's lots of transitions. And, um, you know, I, I thought the, uh, the older I got, it would get easier, but I don't know who that is. It just life just brings different challenges your way um, in this process. Yeah. Amen. So, Dick, the second question they, the listener sent in said, what has helped you develop better communication skills with your wife, your family, and your colleagues? I think, first of all, the awareness that I don't live in a vacuum. Hmm. <clears throat> the idea of calling is profound on the one hand. I really believe in vocation, not just job, right? Yeah. Or career. But calling also, if I'm not careful, becomes a way that I separate myself out. Hmm. And what I would su- submit is that no matter how profound my mission is, it's not the first place to which I was called. If, for example, I'm, I have a spouse. Not all people listening have spouses. But it's not the first place I was called. 30 years ago, I went to this thing. I was invited to a thing called School of Missions. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to speak because the dropout rate at that time, this was 25, 30 years ago, the dropout rate after first term was pretty high. And of course, what we do in those circumstances is we tend to say, yeah, but we're not as bad as that other group. That other group. <laughs> well, well, that's a crummy metric. <laughs> so I went to speak, and this was my topic. After I win the world, who am I? Hmm. Hmm. Willingness to ask the people around me questions, hmm. the people who care for me is really critical. Hmm. How are we doing? Yeah. Mayor Koch in New York City years ago would walk down Fifth Avenue, holler across the street, how am I doing? <laughs> well, there's a sense in which with our colleagues, with our families, with our children, we need to, on occasion, ask the question, how am I doing with you? Hmm. How can I serve you better? Hmm. How, can I, how can I do that? That's a, that's a key question. One of the things in, in marriage seminars, Ruth and I used to do marriage seminars uh, years ago. Uh, in two weeks, we'll have our 57th wedding anniversary. And we don't do seminars anymore because we, we knew more 20 years ago than we know now. <laughs> and, and, and there are two things that help in better communication. One is don't assume hmm. that you know. Hmm. And the second is, don't categorize. Well, you know how teenagers are. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any monolithic teenager out there. Hmm. They all 
yes, the hormones are working. Yes, the frontal lobe is being more closely connected to the rest of the brain. All that stuff we know scientifically, but the fact is every individual processes things differently than other individuals. And there may be general things, but you're not living with a general teenager. Hmm. You're working with a specific teenager hmm. and a specific wife or a specific husband or a specific close friend. So, and uh, most of us, just in closing, this is where I say in closing, yeah. and most of us preacher types close three times. So this is single closing. <laughs> A single closing is this. Most of us are willing to talk about ourselves hmm. in a non-defensive way if we are asked the right kinds of questions. Hmm. And, you know, they, I tend to listen to the other person with trying to figure out the answer I want to have in mind. I, and I'm just speaking for me. Yeah, I was in a situation years ago with a where a friend who had mentored me went down in flames, hmm. and two or three of us went to see him. And during the course of an interaction, I said something to him, and I was 20 years his junior, and yeah. I said something to him that I thought was critical. I was just hurting because he was hurting, and we were driving back to the hotel, and I'm sitting with a with a well-known counselor back in the day, a fellow named Dick Dobbins. We're driving back to the hotel. And I said, Dick, don't you think uh, it was important um, that so-and-so, our friend, heard what I said? And he looked at me and grinned and said, Dick, I don't know if it was important that he heard what you said, but, but it was apparent that you were desperate to say it. Hmm. <laughs> so if you ask questions to make your communication better, yeah. Make sure you ask questions for which you want real, authentic um, responses and not something so you can then counter right away. Wow. That's, that's good. a long quote. No, that's great. That's great insight, great wisdom, and uh, something that we can practically apply um, to our life and our families and, um, and those that we value most and those that we need to make sure and ask them, how are we doing and how are we doing in our communication and caring for them? Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview today with um, our good friend, Pastor John Woodall. Pastor John Woodall is a pastor um, at North Point Church with Andy Stanley. Uh, he leads the men's ministry there and um, actually recently retired in the last uh, in the last six months. And I was able to sit down with, with John and, and talk with him. John's been through some difficult times in the last year or so. He opens up and shares what God has taught him through that process, gives some great insight on how we can care for those that are hurting. And some questions that uh, John gives some questions that maybe we should ask and maybe we shouldn't ask of someone that is hurting and in that process. And John, what a part of his ministry was ministering to men. And so it was a great conversation to sit down with John and I think you'll learn from him. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. new friend that I've met via another connection, and um, it's been a joy. I have used some of the materials he has developed in the past, and um, it's an amazing thing to, to be sitting face-to-face -face having this conversation with him, and so so thankful for him uh, giving us his time today. John, would you just share a little bit of, about yourself um, with our audience, just so they can get an idea of who you are, and um, before we could jump into the conversation? Well, Aaron, thank you so much. And, and I have to tell you, I'm the one that feels very privileged to be in a conversation 
with you today. I, I'm just so grateful that Kevin Harris uh, introduced us, and I've believed in a long time in divine appointments and providential relationships, and I'm convinced that, you know, our good and great Father in Heaven, you know, connected us for this time. Um, Amen. So just a couple of stats. Um, I'll be 66 um, in April, and my wife, Debbie, and I, we've been married. Um, we'll be celebrating our 45th year in marriage. We got married in a little Bible college down in Florida in 1975, and then started to have children real quick. Our firstborn son, Dave, came on 7-7-77 at 7 p.m., <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, and then um, our, our other children, Mike, Rebecca, and Steve, uh, came in 78, 79, and 81. So, uh, three wow. of them are married, and um, we have 13 grandchildren. And I have uh, been a pastor in three local churches um, over the last 45 years. I was a senior pastor in a church in Orlando for several years. Then I was an executive pastor up in rest in Virginia. And then I've been working at North Point Community Church. Uh, just finished there uh, 30 days ago today, actually. And um, I was there for about 18 and a half years as a pastor in uh, the group's world and working with the men in a ministry called Seven that I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later. But um, that's a quick, broad sweep. I, that is awesome. And uh, thank you so much. Um, so, hey, let's dive into that. Um, you you shared about Seven and um, what that's actually how I got to know you. I think I heard you speak um, on one of the podcasts at, at North Point and, um, and then the Seven. Then we, we walked through that here with the men in Madagascar. Could you just share a little bit about that and what you've learned through that process of, of mentoring and discipling men specifically? Well, um, Seven, um, in the full title is Seven Questions That Rattle in the Minds of Most Men. Um, I had the privilege of creating that with a team of people, and we launched that in October of 2011 uh, at our church in, in Atlanta uh, called North Point. And um, we ran a beta. We wanted, it was a seven-week study, and uh, we were just going to run it. Uh, one hour, 59 minutes in the morning, 7 a.m. on Fridays. Um, I would teach for about 20, 25 minutes. Then we had men in circles around tables, which is huge. And then we gave men space to talk about the question, kind of where they found themselves. And um, man, uh, it was just, it was immeasurably more than anything that I asked or thought. Um, hmm. Beta, um, 250 guys signed up in 24 hours. And we knew that we hit some nerve. And yeah. um, then we ran that literally for seven to eight years, um, ran it twice a year in the spring and the summer. No, in the spring and the fall at all of our area churches in Atlanta and probably had, I'm going to say close to six to 7,000 men in our churches go through it. And I'll tell you, it's just been, uh, it's been one of the greatest joys in privileges of my work life. Hmm. And what do going through that process, you said it, you hit a nerve. What do you think that nerve was? Um, because you said, you know, you launched it and you were, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed that you were surprised that there was that quick of a response in that short of time. What nerve do you think you hit? 
Oh, that's a great question. And I'll probably say that with every question you ask, so I'll try to reclaim that. Um, well, I, um, we, we had one of our worship leaders um, uh, commit adultery, and uh, it was really a, it was a tough thing that our church went through. And, and this man's mentor uh, went to Andy Stanley, and he said, if we don't do something for our men, uh, they're going to drop like flies. And I think the nerve was probably, you know, as Henry David Thoreau used to say, um, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And um, I think that's true. Uh, you know, whether it's pride, whether it's shame, whether it's isolation, whether it's loneliness, whether it's running at the speed of Babylon or the speed of business, um, I think when men found a place, um, that they could come and begin to uh, share what they were thinking, uh, share what they were feeling. Um, it just seemed time. And um, I don't know how you are, Aaron, but I prefer somebody ask me a good question uh, yeah. that I can think about, that I can talk about, that I can wrestle with myself, with a, a few others. And, and, that's how we even set it up, seven questions. Now, you know, if you're a thinking man, obviously, um, there's many, many thoughts, many questions that rattle in our minds. But, you know, we took some of the big uh, universal um, questions that I think rattle in the human spirit, in the human soul. And yeah. um, I, think, I think we hit that nerve and gave space for men to talk about it. That's good. That's good. When you and I sp spoke for the first time over the phone and um, we began to talk about the the importance, as you said, those men, when we sit around tables, you have transparent conversations. And I don't want to quote you, but I've played the, our conversation over my mind since we've talked that you found that if, is it, could you just share the two, you shared two things that you've noticed that, that affect people's transparency. I think it's the amount of, I'll let you share it because yeah, okay. I'm going to mess it up, but it's, yeah, good, good memory. Yeah, uh, you and I, when we were getting to know each other, you know, on our initial calls, um, yeah, we did go to this idea that what causes a man to be transparent and yeah. what causes a man to be more more vulnerable. And my observation: these are two very general observations. One is um, the amount that a man has processed his story. Um, hmm. Week two, the question in week two of seven is what's your story? And the tagline is the cost of an unresolved past is missing the present and fearing the future. Um, hmm. And there are issues in our past uh, that we did or that were done to us um, that we've never resolved. We've never resolved them either with confession if it's something that I did or with forgiveness that was done to me. Um, and so when a man processes his story, he, under, he understands more from where he came, uh, who he is, why he's here, where he's going. It leads to a greater transparency and a vulnerability. The second area that I noticed, in, and I attach this, uh, I love this scripture in Proverbs where it says, the wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but, hmm. but the righteous are as bold as a lion. 
And I noticed that if I'm walking in the light, if I'm walking in righteousness, if my heart and mind is toward God and his holiness, and my desire, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, that that allows a man to be more open. Uh, if mm -hmm. I have pockets of sin um, or darkness or closets or, you know, that I'm hiding, um, I don't want you to get too close, up close and personal because yeah. you may find out this area that I'm actually protecting. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are, big, good. Yeah, those are big ideas um, for a man, in my opinion, to walk in uh, transparency and vulnerability. And is that a conversation that you have directly with someone? Um, say we're, I'm working with a, uh, a guy and I'm feeling that those areas, is that something you would just come out and share? Hey, these are two things that I've noticed and begin a conversation or, or how would you approach that with somebody? Well, I think it's what happened, Aaron, to you and me. Um, you, you got up close and personal in a conversation and you noticed how open I was. Mm -hmm. And I like, you know, my, my father who's passed away, passed away in 2005. I have a document of a number of things that he used to say. My father used to say, um, he used to, um, have fun with some of my buddies when I would bring some of my high school or college buddies home. My dad was very bold, very blunt. And he would say, um, so what's your favorite sin? Hmm. And <laughs> yeah, he would do it tongue in cheek, but he would rattle their cage. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So I don't, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. I don't, Hmm. I don't press into a man's um, uh, hidden places. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, my, uh, my favorite question of all time, uh, like um, when I meet any man for the first time, um, the question that I want to ask him is, what's your story? Hmm. How did you get here from there? And, mm -hmm. and ideally what I do when, when men have wanted to meet with me through the years, um, and I, Aaron, I may have done this with you and, uh, I'd sent you the life map links, right? For sure. The, yep. The PDF and the Excel. That's right. Yep. And when a man wants to meet with me, it doesn't matter what he wants to meet with me about. I have him do his life map and a life map is literally like a, like a heart chart that a doctor you know, put mm -hmm. the light, you can look at a life map and see, you know, what, what the issues might be in a man's mind. Um, so I, I just, I love what's your story. I love the life map. And, um, when a man starts telling me the story and I sense that he's wanting to open his mind, he wants to open up his heart a little bit wider. I sort of go at his pace. That's good. That's good. You know, the podcast is, is entitled Clarity, Finding uh, Clarity in Life and Mission in the Midst of the Ambiguity. Um, how is your understanding of years of ministry of how God designed uh, men and manhood helped you better mentor men and walk them through a discipleship process? Is there anything that's helped provide clarity to you in that? And what a, I told you, I, I wouldn't say each time, what a great question. Um, you know what? Aaron, I don't think I, I was actually clear that 
this thing is called finding clarity and ambiguity, which, which I love. Um, so over the course of time, uh, you know, I didn't go out looking for a burden, a passion, a vision to minister to men. Um, I, I think those things come out of our story. Larry Crabb once said that your, um, uh, your life message comes out of your mess. Mm. And um, I think when people look at their story, uh, you know, their burden comes out of what happened or did not happen in their past. And so um, God gave me this burden to minister to men. I had a good father in many ways. I had a hard father in other ways. And just in probably December of 2013, uh, when I would have been 59, nearly 60, right? Mm -hmm. I got this, I got the clarity of mission that I want to restore men to their original design. Hmm. And so when you talk about ministering to men, if you're going to restore them to their original design, uh, you, you've got to ask the question, well, what was the original design? And I thought about four pillars um, that I talk about regarding original design. And I, I state them this way, that a man was made by God in his image. That's out of Genesis 2. He was made uh, to rule subdue and have dominion on the earth, you know, to lead or manage, still in Genesis. Number three, he was made with glory and honor, Psalm 8. And then he was made for relationships. You can pick any, you know, Matthew 22, love God and love people. Right. And so I run ministry to men through original design. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I constantly think about, you know, what is the image of God and what are the character traits that God has uh, that he put in man to bear his image? Um, you know, how can I help a man in his work as he rules, as he leads, as he manages, as he does whatever he does? And um, another uh, two other uh, specific works that helped me get really clear on ministry to men. It's a very, this is going to sound really strange, but it's true. Um, when my wife and I got to Atlanta in 2001, uh, you know, 19 years ago, there was, a, there was a study for women called Five Aspects of Woman. Uh, hmm. This one author, Barbara Moser, she did her uh, dissertation on the aspects of woman, which were mistress of the domain, helper completer, life giver, lady of wisdom, and glory of man. And she took each one of those aspects, the, you know, how a woman was originally created, and then the fallen woman, and then the redeemed woman. And I know mm -hmm. it sounds strange, but when my wife and I went through the study about woman, it actually gave me more clarity about man. Hmm. Uh, it, it was, That's good. Yeah, it was a backdoor approach. And then the second, uh, and then I'll pause here, is uh, a, a book that was extremely helpful to me. It was called The Masculine Journey by Robert Hicks. And uh, okay. he talked about the different elements and aspects uh, of men, you know, 
the creational male, the phallic male, the warrior male, the wounded warrior, the mature man, and then the sage or the elder. So the masculine journey was extremely helpful to me as we were even developing ideas. Question one, for example, and seven is where am I? There's a reason for every season in a man's life. Um, so those were, those were a few things that um, I probably gave it way more than you asked. No, no, no. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. People want to hear, they want to hear your wisdom. They hear me all the time. A um, question I have, you brought it up about women. What do you think, I know we're, you're, you're ministry to men. Is there certain, certain things that you found over your time ministering to men that you think that women may, might not know um, that might help their, their men to walk this journey? Or is that, is it just a man's journey to walk alone? Well, the, boy, it it's a big idea that you're raising, and so I'll just make a few remarks on it, and uh, hopefully some of the remarks, you know, will answer it. But so I think something that is in the heart and the soul of every man that every man longs for. Um, I heard a man say that he he referred to them as intimacy needs mm -hmm. or you know needs within us within the human soul and you know john ortberg is the guy that said um, most men do not hurt hmm. uh, men speak the language of the mind we talk about you know what we think about and then you know just all kinds of things from sports to politics to um machinery to technology it but when you start pressing into the heart of man yeah uh, that's where it gets a little more vulnerable but in the heart of man some of those intimacy needs that are in all of us is is we want to be loved mm. uh, we want to be respected we want to be desired mm. um, you know we want to be affirmed mm -hmm. we want to be approved we want to be validated uh, we want to belong. We want to belong. We want to be heard. We yeah. want to be seen. Those are all intimacy needs, really, within all human beings. And so, if I lifted three of those out, um, most men that I talk to, they want to be loved, respected, and desired. Hmm. And um, women need to understand. Wives need to understand the enormous power that they have in their words. With their words, uh, they can breathe life into the soul of her husband and make him feel like he can conquer the world, that he can do anything in Jesus' name. Yeah. Or, you know, reckless, uh, the, the, the Proverbs say, reckless words pierce like a sword. Hmm. And if a woman, if a wife is not careful with her words, I mean, men, we already struggle with passivity. Yeah. We already struggle with, do I have what it takes? Am, am I enough? And, and the woman that bears the greatest amount of power is generally our wives. Hmm. They can really build us up or they can really tear us down. So um, I don't know if that hits on. No, on, exactly. That's exactly, exactly what I was, a uh, great answer to the question. Shifting a little bit, the other thing is we talked the the other night on the phone. Um, you talked about you were in a season of transition, and that the last 
I think you said six or seven years have been some of the toughest of your life. What have you learned in that transition time? What are, what are you learning about your dependence upon God? And, um, and as you've been through this time of transition? Well, um, so the last six years, starting in, in 2014, have indeed been the, um, the hardest years of our life. Beginning with the death of our first granddaughter, we had a granddaughter that was born uh, with a heart defect. She only lived 10 days. And um, that was our firstborn son, Dave. Hmm. Uh, that was their daughter, Olivia. And uh, then he and his wife, uh, she got pregnant right away with their fourth little boy, um, Courage. They named him Courage. And um, they struggled in their marriage and they separated. And during the separation, when his three sons were with her uh, down in Florida, um, the one-year-old fell in a pool and drowned. Wow. And it just started you know, the hardest thing, unfortunately, it, it led to their divorce. And so we had to, we had to walk through that. And so it's been a, it's been a time of enormous loss, mm-hmm. and grief and pain. And, and um, I think, you know, some of the things that we learned there is very well intended people, very well intended Christians, you know, they wanted to love us. They wanted to, you know, care for us, but Christians do the dumbest things, Mm. even well-intended Christians. You know, when you're walking as Psalm 23 says, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, um, I will fear no evil, you know, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Christians are trying to send love songs and verses and quotes and sayings when when the heart is just broken Hmm. and when it's shattered so one of the things that we learned is um is to try to keep our eyes firmly fixed Hmm. you know on god the father his son jesus uh that we like to call yeshua which Hmm. is his hebrew name um meaning our salvation and um so we, we, in time of enormous loss, we, we turn to our God, we turn to our Father, um, we turn to His Word. Uh, we spent so much time, my, my son, you know, his whole faith had to start again. And, um, you know, he ended up going all the way back to Genesis 1-1. And in the three-year period of his divorce, he journaled close to 8,000 pages. Wow. Um, just, you know, calling out to the God of heaven to, you know, try to find him. So long answer, um, you know, desperate times require desperate ways. And uh, we turn to God, our father, his son, Yeshua, to the Holy Spirit, and um, just kept our eyes firmly fixed on him. There's more to say, but I'll pause there. No, that's wisdom. You said at times, Christians, we melt. Uh, good intention, well-meaning, and what advice, um, because honestly, our listeners, we we leave, live a different life in the sense that we're scattered um, across uh, different countries, different continents, and at times, people, there will be loss, and, um, and at times, we respond in 
we we're well-intentioned and we want to, but we don't respond in the best way. What would you, what wisdom advice or counsel would you give for somebody that wants to care for somebody, encourage somebody that's going through uh, a time like that you have went through? Well, I love that. Um, in Exodus, um, uh, I, I love the book of Exodus. Moses asked Yahweh, he asked his father, um, how can I lead all these people and who will go with me? And the Lord, Yahweh says, my presence will go with you hmm. and I will give you rest. Now, your audience, as, as you just described, is scattered around multiple countries and probably, um, you know, they work in isolation alone. So presence, you know, may be an uncommon or an unknown thing in your particular case. Right. But presence um, is, is a very important thing. And the most important presence is God's presence. Mm -hmm. you, know, he said, you know, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll tell you another very practical thing that we learned through this. Honestly, the most difficult question when we were going through loss and pain and grief and sadness and madness all commingled is when somebody would ask me the question, hey man, how you doing? Hmm. I came to hate that question. Hmm. And what I would have preferred is somebody simply texting, writing, emailing a statement. Hmm. Something along the lines of, I am thinking of you today. Hmm. My good. prayers are with you. Jeff Henderson, one of our campus pastors, one of our lead pastors, all through those years, he, he would simply text. He would say, praying for Team Woodall. Wow. And I didn't have to answer, how are you? Here's another phrase that... That's good. Um, That's good, John. That's really, really good. Well, there was one other phrase that was really hard to hear. And again, this is well-intended people trying to bring hope into your situation. And they go, hey, man, I hope you are well. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't well. Yeah. I was dying, you know? Yeah. And, um, but uh, again, for people just to, when the Holy Spirit brings another person, I got a text today uh, that a man in my men's group, um, his nephew, uh, one year out of college, uh, his nephew dropped dead in a shower last night. Hmm. And the only words I wrote to him is, I am so sorry. It's hmm. good. My thoughts, my prayers are with you today. It's good. Just be very careful that, that you're not asking the well-intended, ill-timed uh, question when a heart when a broken heart is trying to heal. That's good. That's, that's gold there, John. And I appreciate your vulnerability and your openness to share with us because uh, as you shared, I think people, we want to care for people, but without the vulnerability of somebody that has walked through that pain and that hurt sharing, this is how we can care better. We, we really don't know. And, um, and I thank you um, for being open and sharing that um, with us. As you've also mentioned, um, you're moving, you've transitioned from North Point. You said 30 days, I think, today um, away. Yeah. What are you, what's putting, what are you looking forward to in the future? Um, what's putting, a, what's exciting you um, as you look to the future? 
Um, while I'm, I'm learning um, so much, actually more um, than I was even aware um, when I left. So what happened in my story is, you know, when you're, when you're in a long-term career, as I mentioned, 45 years, I became um, accustomed to uh, many ways uh, within the church. I became comfortable. And, um, you know, each church that I left, I always knew where my next assignment was. And this is the first time in 45 years of my work life that I feel, I believe, my wife and I are confident that the Lord called us to leave before, you know, we knew where we were going. Um, I had a friend of mine ask me the question, do you think it's possible that God will call you from something without revealing what he's calling you to? Hmm. Now, I will tell you, everything in me wanted to leave North Point in a 45-year career and have my next thing really clear what I was going to do, but that did not happen. So one of the things that my wife and I are learning in a new and a fresh way is what does it mean really to walk by faith and not by sight? Hmm. Um, we have all the temptations that everybody has to um, find their security in their job, um, in their savings, um, in what is known. But um, at 65, nearly 66, God is saying, I'm calling you to leave what you have known. And the scriptures in Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham to leave his family, to leave his country, and to go out to a place that um, Yahweh says, I will show you. The Lord says, I will show you. Hmm. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, when the story of Abraham is repeated, it says, by faith, Abraham went out, he obeyed, and he went out not knowing where he's going. Hmm, that's good. And that's where, that's where I am at 66. And, and, but I know what I've left, and I know what I'm called to. And um, two things for my wife and me. Number one, I feel like God is calling my wife and me to him more than any time in a long time. I mean, you know, John, come. I was reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Mm. He leads me beside still water. I don't like to lie down. Yeah. I don't like to be by still waters. Man, I want to run and gun. I want to go. <laughs> I want to go do. Yeah. It's good. So one of the things that that my wife and I are learning is um, is to walk more by faith, less by sight. And then the second thing that God is doing in the season, um, through the last six years, our marriage was tested. My wife and I acted and reacted toward one another at the loss of our grandchildren, the divorce of our son, that there were times that we didn't like each other. We didn't like the way that we responded. And I get to tell you that when God said, it's time for you to leave what you've known, um, I want you to go back to the wife of your youth. And we are more together. We are more one 45 years in than any time in our marriage. And we're at a place like we would rather live in a tent yeah. 
together than in a lovely home with contention and strife and division. So uh, we don't know where we're going. My wife says this, we don't know where we're going, but we know who we're following. That's good. uh, Yeah. We're, we're seeking to follow the father, the son and the Holy spirit through his word uh, as best we can. That's awesome. John, will you pray for our audience that pray that God will use our conversation and however you would like to pray for us today. Heavenly Father, um, I just am so convinced that this was a divine connection from you. Um, it's, it's remarkable to me uh, that we could even be in this conversation around the world in just totally different places. I thank you for Aaron, uh, just for the burden and vision that you've put on his heart to get these words and these ideas into the hearts of those that he loves and cares for, leads, serves, prays for. And Father, for the man, for the woman that happened to pick up this podcast, I I pray that the words that have been spoken, that your spirit would just ignite them, breathe life uh, into their heart, give them wisdom, give them faith, give them hope, And we say together that we want to trust in you with all of our heart and not lean on our understanding, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And thank you for directing our paths. In Jesus' name, in Yeshua's name, amen.